check this out. There's this old woman and a, a man, and they, they stayed married for many years. And that's good, right? Okay, but here's the problem. They couldn't stand each other. <laughs> okay, and every time they had a confrontation, screams and yelling could be heard deep into the night. In fact, it got so bad that the neighbors could even hear it. And one constant statement they always heard the husband say to his wife was this. He says, when I die... When I die, I'm going to dig my way up out of the grave. I'm going to come back and I'm going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Well, man, for many years, Tom, this kind of behavior continued until one day the guy finally died. Okay? And after the burial, the wife, man, she went straight home and she threw a big block party for her neighbors, man. She began to party like there was no tomorrow. But her neighbors, they were surprised at her actions and lack of fear. And they, they approached the woman, they asked her, and says, aren't you, aren't you afraid? I mean, aren't you the least bit concerned or worried about your husband's statement that when he died, he was going to dig his way back up out of the grave and come and haunt you for the rest of your life? And she simply responded, let him dig. Let him dig. I had him buried upside down. <laughs> wow. You got it, Bobby. Folks, this is a tough one, but uh, how many guys would say that couple probably didn't have an ideal marriage going on there? You know what I'm saying? The truth could not be buried, okay? It was there. Uh, but uh, hey, folks, uh, how many guys married have uh, uncovered this truth sooner or later that when it comes to marital problems, no matter how deep you try to bury them, they end up surfacing too, don't they? Okay. Uh, and uh, speaking of ideal marriages, one guy, hey, this is what he said. He said, apparently the most ideal version of a marriage is between a deaf husband and a blind wife. Think about it. But that's what he said, not me. But anyway, here's the point. Is this the kind of relationship, Holly, that God had in mind when he instituted marriage back in the Garden of Eden? No, no absolutely not is the answer. Now, we need to acknowledge, as always, that, listen, uh, Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, and so because they blew it in the Garden of Eden, that means they blew it for having a perfect marriage. But the good news is, Christian, listen, this side of heaven, even though you and I may not have a perfect marriage, that doesn't mean we have to resign ourselves to a life of personal pain and silent suffering. It just means it's going to take some... Time is going to take some work. Why? Because contrary to the lie of society, marriages are not made in heaven where they made, where they built. Right here on earth. Therefore, we're going to continue our study. A marriage built to last is the key word there. Time and work, okay? We've already seen that first step. If we're going to have those lasting marriages, we've got to acknowledge, hello, men and women are different. Right, Oz? You still got that figured out? Dude, you're going strong. That's awesome, okay? The second thing was that love is an action. It's not a feeling, okay? The third step was the need for romance. The fourth was the need for communication. What's that? I'll communicate that again. The need for communication is what we saw. The fifth is the need for reconciliation. Come back together again in love and friendship. The next step was the need for honor. We've got to be careful with those words and our behavior. We need to honor one another. And then last time, if you were here, we saw the seventh step was the need for intimacy, the need for intimacy. And what we saw, if we are going to avoid being split apart in our marriages, we have to develop intimacy, which literally means to become best friends there, okay? And we got to do that by spending, from the start, time with one another. What a concept. We need to share an interest in one another. And three, hello, we need to stay faithful to one another, okay? We need to be a good lookout as a spouse, and we need to watch out for all those little foxes, all those little temptations that are trying to destroy our marriage, if we're going to have that intimacy as well. But that's not all. The eighth step in building a lasting marriage is, hello guys, guess what? It's our time to shine. We have a desperate need for biblical men. Now listen, I'm not talking men. I'm not talking worldly men. I'm talking biblical men. And that's the issue. 
And folks, I truly believe that one of the reasons why we are seeing not only marital decay, but the reason why we are seeing societal decay is because men are refusing to be men, specifically biblical men. And that's why things are going down the tubes. And then if that wasn't bad enough, even when we men try to become men, society's out there giving us a wrong role model, a wrong definition of what a true man is. Okay, they've got all kinds of role models. And then we try to follow their path. For instance, some people would say today that a true man is some guy like, a, like an Archie Bunker. Remember him? He was like a, a mini tyrant who keeps everybody in line with his explosive outbursts of anger. That's a man. Or, or some people would say that he's a, a true man's like a, a Sylvester Stallone, some Rambo guy who's a rough, tough, buff guy who's got muscles on top of his muscles, even in his armpits, apparently. And that, that's a true man, if you could do that. And, no, or some, some people say, no, a, a true man's like a, some sort of a Homer Simpson guy who's a lazy, mindless idiot that only exists for beer or TV. I said, no, 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 a true man is some wannabe uh, macho guy who's frustrated and he's only got one thing on his mind. Now here's the point. Does that sound familiar today? Is that the role models or what? Now here's the problem. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to us here at Sunrise, but did you guys know that none of those role models for men are really men? Now, maybe in the world's eyes, but not God's. And that is the problem, folks. If marriages are going to be restored, listen, and society be put back on track, listen, we have a need not for worldly men. We have a desperate need for more biblical men. But the problem is we no longer, even in the church, understand what makes for a biblical man. Because there's so much lie and infection from this world, we're going the wrong path too, even as Christians. And so that's what we're going to study today. The first characteristics of a biblical man is the Bible is very clear. Hello, you're a sacrificial leader. Not just a leader. The Bible says you need to be, if you're going to be a biblical man, you need to be a sacrificial leader. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And as you turn there, Ephesians, of course, was written to. Ephesians chapter 5. You guys are doing good this morning. All right. Uh, let's take a look there and starting with verse 25 clearly tells us what kind of men we are to be specifically hello in marriage okay let's take a look there Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 through 29 is the context and notice as you were going to read uh, Jesus Christ men is our role model and how many guys would say you can't get a better role model than that now, all of you didn't raise your hand. I'm really concerned about you right now, but I'm glad you're here anyway. Okay, verse 25, let's take a look at our role model. Now, he says this, husbands, what do you do with your wives? Love them. Love your wives. How? How do you know if you're loving your wife? Just as Christ, Jesus, loved the church and what sacrifice he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as your own bodies. Why? Well, he who loves his wife, you love yourself. I mean, come on. After all, nobody ever hates his own body, but what do you do? He feeds and he cares for it, again, just as Christ does the church. Now, man, we all know it's great being a guy, right? Okay, I'm, I'm here to help you. You can get excited about this part. Okay. For instance, ch check this out. This is why, ladies, listen to this for us guys. We've we got a whole different world going on. Um, guys, our phone, conversation, uh, phone conversations, they only last about 30 seconds. Okay. And ladies, did you know that, guys, we can go to the bathroom alone? Right? And, and ladies, we guys, we can actually leave a hotel without making the bed. 
I mean, they pay people to do that. Hello. Okay. But according to our text, it gets even better. The Bible says that as men, as a husband, we are called to be the sacrificial leader of the family, just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church, right? It says it right there in the context, okay? In fact, this is what's wild when you start breaking down our role as men. Okay, this is really cool. Men being leaders, listen, has been God's plan from the very beginning of creation. And the first way we know that is because it literally is woven into our name. Listen, this is really cool. The word father, this blew me away. The word father in the Hebrew literally means to decide. To decide. From the get-go in the creation account. Therefore, a father is a decider or a leader who makes the necessary tough decisions in life for the well-being of the family. Isn't that cool? That's literally what it means. The second reason why we know that men are called to be leaders, okay, is it's woven into our nature. Now, this is why men tend to generally be physically stronger and more durable than ladies, especially in stressful times. And that comes in handy that God has wired us and made us that way physically, okay, uh, in, in those stressful times when the decisions need to be made. Now, here's the problem. That's how it's woven into us. That's been God's plan from the get-go. But the problem is this. Even though God has wired us men to literally be leaders, that doesn't mean that everybody's not just a leader, but specifically, that doesn't mean men are godly leaders, right? That's the problem, okay, as we see there. And there, there's a couple reasons why. And the first one is because of the old sin nature. The old sin nature ruins us. The reason why some men never become godly leaders is because of our sin nature. And what it does is twist and contort that which is meant for good or evil. And so this positive strength that God naturally gave us to be a great leader oftentimes is being used in a negative way. Okay? Uh, it's being used in something that's brutish or tyrannical. Instead of using that positive strength that God has given us to provide help, we use it to produce harm. So we twisted it. The second reason why some men never become godly leaders, sacrificial leaders, is because, hello, our society. Our society is out there messing it up. Our society is encouraging men right and left, listen, not to be sacrificial leaders, listen, but to be selfish leaders. And what they were saying is that, listen, men, we need to use all of our God-given abilities for our own profit, for our own benefit, for our own prestige, and we leave behind a trail of destruction. But folks, the Bible simply says that a godly leader is a man who makes sacrifices for his family, his wife, whatever it takes, just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church. There used to be a phrase, as men, we are the expendable ones. It is women and children first, not me first. And we have to get back to the core issue that the women and the children, the family comes first, and if they are in danger, we sacrifice ourselves for them. That's what the scripture says. In fact, that's what this guy did. It was woven into his nature. Check this out. A husband who made the ultimate sacrifice with a split-second decision to save the life of his pregnant wife. Things couldn't have been better for Brian and Aaron Wood. Married, happy, their first baby on the way. Life seemed pretty good as they strapped themselves into their Subaru that night. No one could have foreseen what would happen next. I would give anything to be able to hug my husband just one more time. In an impound lot in Whidbey Island, Washington, covered by a plastic tarp, is what's left of Aaron and Brian's car. Investigators say the driver of the other car, 21-year-old Jordan Weikert, was taking off her sweater, allowing one of her friends in the passenger seat to take the wheel instead. 
Apparently the vehicle crossed over the center line. They both jerked the wheel, overreacted, went over to the right. Then they had to overreact and overcompensate, steered back to the left, lost control. And that's when they came uh, head on into the husband and wife. But it's what that husband did that is truly remarkable. With the SUV bearing down, Brian slammed on the brakes and swerved just enough to take the full impact of the crash on his side. A split-second act of love and bravery, his wife says, for her and the child he's never met. That was a choice that he made to sacrifice himself to keep me and the baby safe because um, it's just the kind of guy he was always. Brian's parents, soon to be grandparents, are at least comforted by that. His first thought was for that baby and his wife. So it, I'm sure he did it without even consciously realizing it. That's not just a man. That's a biblical man. Our society is so messed it up for us, man. We are the expendable ones. We are the ones who are to be on the front line taking the bullet, not women. We are to sacrifice ourselves just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church, but we do it for our family, for our wives. We do not need any more worldly men. We need biblical men, men who will lead in a sacrificial way if we're going to get back on track. Amen? The second characteristic of a biblical man is you're not just a sacrificial leader. Hello, you're a spiritual leader, okay? You're a spiritual leader. You don't have this attitude, well, that's just the sissy stuff for the women. No, you're the spiritual leader. And we see just one example of that in uh, uh, leading the way by example spiritually. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21 with Isaac. Isaac what? He left the praying to the women and children. That's just, no, he's the one who was praying. And he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Okay? Now, man, I'll give you a little bit of break here, a little teaser, okay? Once again, it's great being a guy, right, man? This is the part where you can get excited about. Go ahead. Okay, okay, for instance, listen, ladies, did you know that we can kill our own food? Pretty cool. Uh, number two, cleaning the toilet is optional. And just ask Oz. Wedding plans take care of themselves. You know what I'm saying? All you got to do is say, hey, sounds like a great idea to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, but it gets even better. According to our text, the Bible says, listen, that a, a, a man, a biblical man, you are called to be a praying leader for your family, just as Jesus Christ, hello, prays and intercedes for the church, right? But here's the problem. God has not only called us to lead our families physically and spiritually, but we don't do that. Just because he's called us that, we don't do that. Okay, we don't lead as spiritual leaders. And the first reason why is, hopefully you're starting to see a pattern here, is because of the sin nature. And so rather than leading our families spiritually, we resort to apathy. Listen, instead of providing prayer support, we end up supporting the couch. And then what we do is we make matters twice as bad and we forsake that role as a spiritual leader and we let the wife assume the responsibility spiritually. Now here's the problem, is that when a man gives up his role, the rightful role that God has called us to be that spiritual leader in the home and then later decides to become a real man and take that role, it's unfortunately a rare thing for the woman to give it back. Creating all kinds of havoc. Doesn't make it right, but that's usually what goes on. The second reason why some men never become spiritual leaders is because, once again, here comes society. Society's got it all messed up, guys. And what our society does is encouraging men not to be praying leaders. Listen, we're to be playing leaders. And they say that what you need to do is use all your God-given time for your own pleasure. You need to invest all your energy, all your skills into your sports and hobbies and leave that sissy spiritual stuff to the women and kids. 
But listen, men, the Bible says that a real man is not one who could develop the skill for hitting golf balls off of a tee, but one who energetically prays, leaving calluses on his knees for his family. That's a sacrificial man. Listen, guys, it's not just being a leader. Anybody can be a leader. But not everybody is a biblical leader, a godly leader. We do not need any more worldly men. We need biblical men, men who will lead in a spiritual way. It's our job to lead the way in the family. It is our job to lead the way spiritually in the church. Amen? The third characteristic of a biblical man is he is a secure leader. He is a secure leader. It's our job to get out there and provide. I didn't say that. That's in our opening text. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 28 through 29. This is the back half of our opening text. He says, now in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Why? Because he who loves his wife loves himself. Well, how do you do that? After all, nobody hated his own body, but what do you do? She's part of your body. She's part of your care. He feeds and he cares for it just as what? Christ does for the church. Who provides for us? Jesus. Men, we're supposed to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a little break, guys. Enjoy this one. Okay, it's, all be, it's great being a guy, isn't it? Okay, that's right. Okay, for instance, uh, none of our co-workers have the power to make us cry. Right? Ladies, we don't have to shave below the neck. Okay, and apparently flowers and duct tape fix everything. Yeah, whatever, we dream. Okay, but it gets even better. According to our text, listen, the man and the husband is called to secure provisions for his family just as Jesus Christ provides for the church, right? God has called us men not only to lead our families physically and spiritually, but provisionally as well. We are to sacrifice not only our lives and our time, but our energy in providing for our families. Here's the problem. God has naturally wired us. He's given us men in general a strong drive, a strong determination, a very sometimes aggressive nature. That's not bad all the times. It can be used to secure provisions in a crazy, messed up, hectic world. But that doesn't mean we're doing it. Okay? And the first reason, here's the pattern, sin nature. We're not listening to God. And so sometimes rather than leading the way provisionally, we are tempted to resort to laziness. Listen, instead of providing the support of a steady income, we expect others to support us with their income, be it our wise family or even the government. It's that entitlement attitude. Now, I'll clarify something here. I'm not saying if you ever find yourself in a position where you temporarily need some assistance from friends or family or even the government. I'm not saying that's wrong. Praise God that, that people and even our society has the ability to do that. That's a good thing. That's nothing wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what has now become an epidemic. And that is that general lazy attitude of the average American who expects something for nothing and that society owes them something without having to do anything in return. That is not biblical. Okay, in fact, it used to be common knowledge. We used to have proverbs about this. You need to work hard and get out there and provide. Okay, you guys ever hear that uh, ant and the grasshopper thing? Well, let me share you the classic version and I'll share with you what it's become. The classic version went like this. The ant works hard in the withering heat all summer long. He's building his house. He's laying up supplies for the winter. But the grasshopper, he thinks the ant's a fool. And so he laughs and he dances and he plays the summer away. And come the winter, the ant is warm and well-fed. But the grasshopper, pff, he's foolish. He's got no food, no shelter, and he dies out in the cold. That's the classic one. Here's the new one. The ant works hard uh, in the withering heat all summer long. And... He's building his house, he's laying up supplies for the winter, and the grasshopper thinks he's a fool. So he dances and laughs and plays the summer way, and come winter, uh, the shivering grasshopper, 
He calls a press conference. And he demands to know why the ants should be allowed to uh, be warm and well-fed while others less fortunate uh, are cold and starving. So the national news show up to provide pictures of the shivering grasshopper next to a video of the ant in his comfortable home with a table filled with food. The nation is stunned by this sharp contrast. How can this be in a country of such wealth that this poor grasshopper is allowed to suffer so? The opposition party staged a demonstration in front of the ant's house and the news stations filmed the group singing, We Shall Overcome. A local government uh, member rants in an interview and celebrity news pick up on it that the ant has gotten rich off the backs of grasshoppers and he calls for an immediate tax hike on the ant to make him pay his fair share. So the government uh, drafts the Anti-Grasshopper Act, retroactive from the beginning of the summer, and the ant is fined for failing to hire green bugs uh, for help and having nothing left now to pay his retroactive taxes, his home is confiscated by the government. Well, the story ends like this. We see the grasshopper finishing up the last bits of the ant's food while the government house he's in, which just happens to be the ant's old house, is crumbling all around him because he doesn't even maintain it. The ant has disappeared in the snow. The grasshopper is found dead in a drug-related incident in the house <laughs> that's now abandoned and has been taken over by a gang of spiders who now terrorize the once peaceful neighborhood. That's what I'm talking about. That's our world, right? Why? Because our society has tricked us men into not being men. It's just, it's, we, we, we got a phrase for it. It's called this entitlement attitude. That we can get something for nothing. That we don't have to work for it. But can I tell you something? That is not a biblical man. That's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says, listen, that you, there's times when you need help. Praise God for that. But you got to be out there somehow, some way, at some point, getting out there and working for your food. I didn't say that. God did. Here's what the Bible says about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. For you yourselves, Paul says, know how you ought to follow our example. Hello, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we didn't have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. He's talking to the church. If a man will not work, what? You're not going to eat. Okay, you need to do something. We hear, he says, that some of you are idle. You're not busy. You're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread you eat. In other words, you need to get out there, men, to the best of your ability and keep on trying, keep on knocking until something opens up and get into the position to earn your provisions and for your family. That is the biblical example. That is a secure, godly man. There you go. That's just the sin nature. The second reason, you flip it around though. The second reason why we never become secure leaders is not just because we resort to laziness. We go back to that selfishness thing. And so we'll be out there as men. Society says, listen, they're encouraging men not to provide and get out there and get that job so you can take care of the needs of your family and the benefit of other people. But it's to be uh, expended on just you. Praise God you're out there and God's provided that employment for you, but you don't use it for the benefit of others. You go out there to use it on your new pair of golf shoes or whatever you want or some project or some new toy or electronic thing or whatever, and you forsake providing for your family, which is your first priority. There's nothing cooler, man. I'll never forget this. There's nothing cooler than getting to that point. Whereas God, and God's the one who gives us that provision to be able to provide for your family. And you come up in the driveway and the wife and kids are there and it's not just the wiener dogs going nuts at your home. 
It's the kids banging on the window. Yeah, he's bad. It's just something men were being robbed. Of being that provider for the home and saying, God is using me to take care of this mini castle called our house. There's something awesome about that. Society's ripping us off of that. Don't let them do it. We have no more need for worldly men. We have a desperate need for biblical men, men who will lead like this in a secure fashion and be responsible. Amen? The fourth characteristic of a biblical man is he is a sensitive leader. He is to be a sensitive leader. And this is what we see in this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3. He talks about our role again as husbands, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in a what? Understanding way. Well, what are you supposed to understand? Well, you're living with somebody who's what? Weaker than you, since she's a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. So it won't mess things up spiritually, okay? One last time, and I'm going to give you a break, okay? Ladies, did you know that uh, we don't care if somebody doesn't notice our new haircut? I'm okay. All right. Did you know that we can watch the game in silence for hours without our buddy thinking, he must be mad at me? <laughs> guys can do that. And you know what's really cool about guys? <laughs> One mood all the time. I digress. Let's move on. Uh, I need to write home. Uh, but according to our text, it gets even better. A man or a husband is called to be the caring leader. Just as Jesus Christ cares for the church. Listen, God has not only called men to lead our families physically and spiritually and provisionally, but even emotionally. And we need to be out there giving them our understanding and caring for them and be sensitive about their emotional needs. Now, here's the problem. Unfortunately, sometimes, ladies, as you know, we can be a little insensitive to your emotional needs. And frankly, we need all the help we can get. Okay, if somehow they can come up with some sort of a GPS device to help us out when we blow it. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's like what this guy shares. Let's take a look. GPS, love the GPS. Tells you what to do. That's beautiful. And so nice. Driving along. Turn left now. Turn right up ahead. Turn around and go the other way. Then I get into Dallas. You're on your own. <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. Good luck and may the force be with you, Luke. I love the GPS. And when you make a wrong turn, do something bad, it's like recomputing. Recomputing, not you moron. No, you idiot. No, recomputing. I love that. They should have redneck GPS. Right? Turn left at Walgreens. <laughs> you gonna see a pit bull and a go kart, <laughs> but just keep a going. No, you went up. Oh, re, re, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. I want life GPS, that's what I want. You know, just tell me what to do in my life. Your fly is down. Purchase gum, your breath smells like a sewer. But what we need is marriage GPS, guys. Marriage GPS, wouldn't that be awesome? Just tell us what to do. Guys don't know. Say something about her hair. What's up with your hair? 
memory computing. Man, would it not be great to have a life GPS? That would be awesome, man. I, I'd love it. I, I'd be recomputing every single day, uh, personally. Uh, but man, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know they got all kinds of toys out there, but uh, those devices don't work, and they apparently don't exist. I've looked, apparently. And uh, so we're going to have to rely upon God's uh, GPS, if you will. And he tells us that we're supposed to just understand. You don't need an electronic device to figure it out. You just need to understand what we saw, that women are weaker vessels. Okay, women are weaker vessels. In other words, they are not emotionally made like you and I. Now, this is awesome. God's wired it together for a great purpose. He's made us men in general less emotional to provide that emotional stability in case our wives' emotions kind of get out of control. And we're supposed to be there to counteract that, in theory, okay? Because I don't know if you noticed that, but sometimes ladies' emotions can get dangerous. Like this, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. It was in 1972, and there's this Czechoslovakian lady named Vera Zermak. Okay, she became so upset over her husband's behavior that she tried to kill herself by leaping out of a third story window. I'm not making it up. However, when she jumped, it just so happened her husband was walking by down below outside at that very moment. She landed on him and killed him instead. It can be dangerous, guys. Those emotions get out of control, okay? And this is the good news, though. God has wired us men with this emotional stability when the emotions for the lady get out of hand. We are less emotional, but here's the problem. That doesn't mean that all men rush in for that emotional support. In other words, that doesn't mean that all men become those sensitive leaders that our wives need. Okay, and again, the first reason why is because of sin nature. And so when her emotions kind of get the better of her, instead of leading the way with the warm hug, we are tempted to back off and give her the cold shoulder. We're indifferent. Okay, we don't provide that stability. The second reason why is because of our sinful society is messing it up as well. Our society is out there encouraging men, listen, not to be understanding towards our wives, listen, but to be completely uninterested in their lives. Our society says, men, that we are to focus all of our natural ability for our own private projects. But listen, the Bible says our biggest project in life is our wife. Number one. And God has specifically defined what it is we're to understand. Again, in the text, it says weaker vessels. Now, don't listen to feminism because that's a lie from the pit of hell. That text is not saying that women are less in value. In the Greek, it actually means the exact opposite. It means you're more valuable. You are literally more precious. And God is charging the men that you are to be treated in a sensitive, delicate, affectionate care like you would a fine piece of china. That's what God is saying in this text. Women, guys, are not made like us. They are delicate. They are precious, like a fine piece of china. They're not some Taco Bell plastic tumbler cup to throw around. They're to be handled with precious care. We are the expendable ones. Their physical and emotional makeup can't take the hits of life like we can. You hit a china cup, shatters. You hit that Taco Bell cup, boing. And so we're to handle them with affectionate care. Now listen, this is what's awesome. Guys, listen, showing this emotional, affectionate care to our wives is not only good for building intimacy in your marriage, it's good for building the bank account. Seriously, check this out. This, these are the benefits of a husband meeting the emotional, sensitive needs of his wife before he leaves work. Listen to this. Husbands who kiss their wives every morning 
before leaving work, usually live five years longer than those who don't. I know I thought about that too, Bill. I thought, well, hey, if she isn't trying to kiss me, what's she doing? You know? <laughs> I'm trying. But no, no, listen to this. A kissing husband has fewer automobile accidents, loses up to 50% less time from work because of illness, and earns 20 to 30% more than a non-kissing husband. Isn't that awesome? Ladies, you want a new wardrobe? Kiss him? That's the stats. I'm not making it up. Guys, you want to work your way to that new bass boat? Pucker up. You know, new set of tires could be a couple kisses away, okay? This is awesome, folks. This is awesome. Seriously, guys, we are charged by God to give our wives this emotional, wonderful, affectionate care. Hold them in high esteem. They are precious. They are delicate to be handled with care. It's for our benefit, for our marriage and all kinds of things, okay? Again, anybody can be a leader, but here's the problem. Not everybody is a godly leader. We have no need for more worldly men. We have a desperate need, hello, even in the church, for godly men, men who will lead in a sensitive way. Now, here's the neat thing, guys. Learning to be a biblical man is not only at the heart of having a great biblical marriage, but listen, God has wired not only us for this ministry, but he has given women in general a natural attraction to all of these biblical qualities. Listen. Most women today are not drawn to a tyrannical Archie Bunker, but they are drawn to a man who will use his God-given authority in a sacrificial way for her highest needs. Most women are not drawn to a muscle-bound Rambo, but they're drawn to a man who will stand in the gap spiritually for his family. And most women are not drawn to a self-indulgent, lazy Homer Simpson, but they're drawn to a man who works hard at providing provision and substance and security for the household. And most women are not drawn to a one-track mind, Al Bundy kind of a guy, but they're drawn to a man who will use his mind to understand a woman's delicate, precious, sensitive needs and get busy taking care of them. It's like peanut butter and jelly. You do your thing, you do, she does hers, put them both together, there's a natural attraction and it sticks together really nice. If you just do it God's way. And you're well on your way to having that marriage built to last. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments 
uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to...
to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.